welcome to episode four of Five Dollar Tuesdays, hosted by me, Davis, and my co-host, Skylar, a weekly movie review podcast where we talk about movies, life, and and pop culture in general. Uh, This week, we will be reviewing Citizen Kane, talking about some some movie news, and ending with the best movie endings that we have seen. Uh, But Skylar, what's going on? Uh, not much. I, I was, I was kind of worried, um, about our movie this, like I, I had, I don't know why that one came to mind. I think I was just trying to give myself a reason to watch Citizen Kane. It was a little Um, out of left field. And then as the week went on, I thought more and more about your comments of, uh, your fears to critique the, the best rated movie of all time. And I, also became very intimidated by that endeavor but uh yeah I, I i enjoyed it and i'm looking forward to checking it out this week no i i i liked it i think uh i i mean we'll we'll obviously save our substantive comments but i i, I was worried that a lot of it was going to whiz over my head and it very well might have but there was enough of the movie that i could grapple with that i didn't feel like it was totally getting away from me so Hopefully we'll be able to have some good conversation about that a little bit later in the episode. Um, as as we are ought to do, let's start with some corrections. Okay. La- last episode, things were going a little uh, a, a little fast and furious. Names were flying around, and I at one point uh, mixed up Todd Phillips and Zack Snyder. I think I combined them and made them Todd Snyder. Uh, <laughs> but but I was I, Todd I, Snyder the guy that made SpongeBob. <laughs> May he rest in peace. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was something like that. We'll have another I, correction for next week when I, I was I'm, say, I'm sure I messed that up. Uh, I, I, I thought it was like Steven Hillenberg, Hillenbrand. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, you're, you're probably right. Yeah. I, I, I just Dan, Googled Dan him. Dan Snyder? I'm, Schneider? I, I don't know. Steven Hillenberg. I, I Googled him and I'm seeing a lot of like SpongeBob related stuff. Um, okay yeah you've got yeah that's that's the one that's probably the one i was thinking of one one thing i just barely mentioned right before sorry right before you got into corrections yeah i i said um looking forward to checking out the movie this week uh were we supposed to watch the movie (laughs) (laughs) i just Uh, kidding i I watched it i was just messed i was just correcting myself (laughs) this week we have a preemptive look at uh at citizen kane (laughs) We're going to be spending two week long, yeah, two week long podcast. Sp- spending this episode speculating what we might see and how we think <laughs> we'll feel about it. Uh, yeah, f- fortunately, I believe both of us watched the movie, so we can ho- hopefully have some engaging conversation. But um, other than that, what's what, what's been going on this week? Anything special? You watching anything? Reading anything? Doing anything? So I saw a trailer this week. And maybe we should consider doing this for next week's episode. Um, I saw a trailer for a movie called Judy and Punch. Have you heard of that? I haven't. Tell, tell me about it. I, Spin me a tale. I, I don't know a whole... So, okay. From what I saw in the trailer combined with the synopsis... Or not the synopsis. A, like a, a brief plot summary. Um... I, I can't remember the, the main character's name. It's Mia, Mia something. Mia, I got her right here. Mia, Mia Wasikowski. Yep. 
Wazikowski or something like that. Um, she is a marionette, I believe. Or what? What like, is it? Like, like like a puppeteer? <laughs> hold on, hold on. Yes, a Mary. Sorry, I, <laughs> the marionette is the puppet. Am I? Yes. Am I right? Okay. So she is a puppeteer. <laughs> what what an interesting concept for a film. <laughs> so she is actually the marionette. Uh, no. So she's a puppeteer, and she's very good at what she does. And this guy, who I assume is her husband, maybe just a lover. So she's Judy, and Punch is this lover played by Damon Harriman. Mm-hmm. And um, he does something that's inexplicable. It seems like in the trailer, something about like there uh, ends up so- something tragic happens to a family member. Um, I, I believe it was a, could have been their child or someone else's child, something along those lines. But, um, and then he proceeds to like attack Judy, Mia Wasikowski's character and leaves her for dead. Um, and then he blames the, he blames her death, supposed death on people in the village. Uh, I don't remember exactly if it was police or if it was government officials or, or who, who exactly it was. Um, but it's kind of like her revenge going back after him. I thought it looked fantastic. So huh. um, haven't watched it yet. That's going to be on my agenda for probably this, this upcoming week. But uh, yeah, that, that was something I figured I'd mention to our audience. So Yeah, uh, let, let's do it. Why not? Let's, uh, okay. let, let, let's check it out. I think as, as we are having fewer and fewer new releases uh we we might as well go back and kind of circle back on some of the some of the releases over the past bit that that may not have gotten as much attention um all right so next week judy and punch it's about uh mia wazakowski who is a doll uh she's a puppet and she gets killed by a human but then comes back i think i i I wasn't paying attention when you when you did the recap it was. I think it's a reboot of Pinocchio. Um, and if you look at the cast and crew, there's a picture of a man named Jacek Komen uh, that looks terrifying. So uh, I really hope to see what he looks like in the film because his his cast picture is... Uh, he, he looks like a younger version of Doc Brown. Um. I'm I'm seeing one named Terry Norris who seems to fit that bill, but hey, you know what? Let let's let let's just let it be a surprise when okay. we uh, okay when 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 I start watching. Excited! I'm excited for this one. Yeah, that'll be good. Awesome. Uh, in, anything else going on with you? Nothing. That's that's honestly it. I think um, I uh, I I'm a teacher. My wife is also a teacher, and so wrapping up the uh, past school year and getting in, getting ready to get into the, the next up, the upcoming school years on our minds. But uh, other than that, yeah, it's, that's basically it. So All right. what about you? Uh, well, so I, I was traveling this weekend. My sister got married in, uh, in, in St. George, Utah. So I was, I, I was actually on quite the trip. I had to drive to Pittsburgh, uh, ditch the car there, you know, ping, ping pong around the, uh, the good old continental United States. And there, there were, there were two things that I wanted to pull out, not wedding related at all, but more travel related. First off, um, I, I watched I Frankenstein, oh, uh, <laughs> to its credit. 
it was a is pretty, it Aaron Eckhart in that? Yes. And okay, that, okay. That, that, that's one that's one thing I want to get to. So to okay. its credit, th- this was a pretty quick 90-minute movie. Uh but one one of the major flaws and something that I don't understand why it wasn't addressed like long before they even started filming was you can't cast Aaron Eckhart, an impossibly beautiful human being, to play Frankenstein's monster. Like he he looked just like himself, uh, except they they kind of disfigured one of his eyes with a scar, and then oh. and then there there was a uh, there, there there was a scene, of course, where he took his shirt off to kind of like uh, feel feel his wounds uh, from from the battle. Dude is jacked as all hell. I mean, he looked so shredded, and. <laughs> And, and and they they like kind of painted on some uh, some superficial scars again to make it look like he was composed of the parts of like six or seven different humans, but uh, it it wasn't like a punishing watch, but it's definitely like if if I had seen that in theaters, I would have been pissed. Uh, really, really. Was it better dumb. than it? Was it better than its Rotten Tomato score? Uh. It w- so the Rotten Tomato score, I think it was like a four, right? Like a four or five percent. Yeah. yeah, four or five. Yeah. To its credit, eighty-five percent of Google users liked the movie. Uh, oh. oh yeah. I would I would put it somewhere between those two, leaning closer to the Rotten Tomato score. Okay. Uh, I'd give it maybe like a twenty percent. It just okay. it 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 picks up right where the Frankenstein book ends. So like. Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein is dead because uh, okay. he's been chasing his monster to the ends of the earth. Aaron Eckhart takes his master back, uh, buries him in the family graveyard, and then these demons try to take Frankenstein and and like enslave him, but then gargoyles were fortunately there <laughs> to like protect him. And, it, and anyhow, it turns out that Frankenstein's monster who is given the name Adam, uh, which huge eye roll. Uh, but Yikes. he he apparently is like the key to this unending war between the gargoyles who are guardians of light and demons who are servants of hell. And and all of mankind is caught up in the balance. So They just completely retcon everything Frankenstein. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> you are Frankenstein. No, that was my master's name. <laughs> yes, but doesn't a son keep his father's name? You are Adam Frankenstein. <laughs> it was it was awful. The the main gargoyle lady, I feel like they just didn't have the budget or reach to get Tilda Swinton because it she felt like the ancient one from Doctor Strange, but like bargain bin. Oh my gosh. Um yeah, so you know. Like I said, I I saw that it was on the the Hulu download list. Downloaded it. It got a chunk of my flight off. But one thing that I noticed on the way back, partially because I didn't have a a movie like teed up, I had a few things, but I hadn't settled on one. And that is, movies are so much more interesting when you're watching them over the shoulder of someone who's watching on their screen two or three rows up. Yeah. Like on on my flight home, about two rows up someone had chosen to watch white men can't jump oh I was, okay i was transfixed i, I like 
they, they didn't have the subtitles on. I didn't really know what was going on, but yeah. Oh my gosh. Something about Woody Harrelson and, uh, and, and Wesley Snipes just playing some round ball boy. Uh, they, I, 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 I couldn't keep my eyes away and I had things that I could have watched, like that I could have heard and picked, but I, I couldn't stop watching from that, you know, you know, four by five inch screen, two rows away. Uh, and I feel like I fall into that trap a lot. Um, I, I was just going to mention, is, was, was White Man Can't Jump, was that a Spike Lee movie? It's got to be, right? Uh, I, I was thinking it was Spike Lee. I could be wrong. Let's see. Um, it seems like his genre. Uh, directed by Ron Shelton. Oh, so, okay, well. Yeah, shows you right. don't have to correct. Um, Ron <laughs> Shelton, a very white guy. Uh, known for movies like Bull Durham, White Men Can't Jump, Tin, Tin Cup, and Hollywood Homicide. Who could forget wow. that one? 2003's smash hit Hollywood Homicide starring Harrison Ford, uh, Josh Hartnett, and Lena Olin. But oh, you were okay. saying, sorry. No, no, you're fine. Um, well, I, I mean, I, I was thinking it was directed by Spike Lee, uh, and if in fact, it was, which it's not. I was going to say, <laughs> um, <laughs> you can stop the sentence right there, pal. <laughs> um, uh, my wife and I watched uh, Black Klansman this week. Have you seen that by chance? Yes. Loved Black Klansman. And, and that I was think, so good. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my wife and I had the opportunity to see it in theaters. And I mean, such a good movie. And uh, Spike Lee, I think at times can be accused of being a little uh, heavy handed mm-hmm. with, with, with his social commentary. Um, but boy, like you, you get that happy resolution at black Klansman and then it takes you right into the, uh, the, the riots and protests yeah. in, UVA, uh, in Charlottesville. Yeah. And wow. Yeah. We, we, we were feeling good. And then my wife and I both just started sobbing in theaters because of how, how that wrapped up. But yeah, great movie. Yeah. We wa- actually saw a play of it. It wasn't even a movie. We they were putting on a play, and the riot scene was was something else. Huh? The, uh, <laughs> I'm just joking. We didn't I, <laughs> play. <laughs> like I didn't even know there were like playhouses open right now. <laughs> no, we 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 actually just put on our op- our own play of it. Now, now that I'm thinking about it, could you, I, like I can't think of many movies less suitable to be it to be adapted by like a local community theater <laughs> than black Klansmen. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, especially like it, if you're in an area of the country where there, there aren't really enough people <laughs> to fill out a, a predominantly black cast. <laughs> yeah. They, they would have to be uh, digging deep to find cast members out here to fill a lot of those roles. You, like the, the main character, John David Washington's character is trying to infiltrate the KKK, but he's just a white guy. You're like, why, why is this hard? Like what, <laughs> why, why is this so tense? I, yeah. I don't get, I don't get why, <laughs> what, like what's the conflict here? <laughs> I'm, I'm missing the tension. He's just a racist. <laughs> oh gosh. But yes, would recommend black Klansman. I give it a 10 out of 10. All right. Uh, Spike Lee's got a new movie coming out soon on Netflix, The Five Bloods. Uh, oh. Yeah, Five Bloods. It's going to be about uh, five... Or, or, Different or, kinds or, of blood? 
to five bloods. O positive. A, B negative. A positive. B positive. Uh, no, all, it, all of which were extracted from one man. <laughs> Adam Frankenstein. He, he, he has all the blood types. That, that, that's why it he all was comes so, full circle. Yeah. <laughs> um, no. So I, um, there, there, there was a, there, excuse me. There's a movie, uh, with, with Spike Lee, the five bloods it's coming out on Netflix. It's, it's a number of soldiers who were kind of like disillusioned and disenfranchised by the Vietnam war who go back to try and find the remains of their now past. Uh, oh, leader. wow. Yeah. Okay. And it looks like Chadwick Boseman's in it. So yeah. yeah. I love Chadwick Boseman. So that would be a, a good watch probably. I, I really like Chadwick Boseman. Uh, I really like him as Black Panther, but I'm excited for him to hopefully distance himself because mm-hmm. like oh, over the past two, two and a half years, uh, he has, he, you, you can see, like he is visibly aged based on the number of times that he's been asked to do the Wakanda Forever salute. <laughs> and he, like, there, there's not even a hint of a smile. Uh, he, he takes no joy out of being uh, T'Challa when he's not being paid by Disney. Uh, right. Yeah. So hopefully. he wasn't a movie. He wasn't. A, yes, I agree. It, it looks excellent. Um, th- there's a movie uh, about Thurgood Marshall. Um, that. Mm-hmm. What was that? What it was? I, I believe it was Thurgood Marshall. I, I, I can't remember exactly. I'm guessing it's even in the title of the movie, but uh, Thurgood. Is it Thurgood? Is that what it's called? I think so. Okay. Uh, yes. And that one was, I, I've heard at least my wife loved that movie, um, said it was excellent. So, oh yeah. And he was Jackie Robinson. Okay. Oh, cool. It was Marshall. Dang. Marshall. 50, 50 okay. Shot. We were, we were close, but we, yep. uh, we got it. So Chadwick Boseman, um, you are, you are better than just Black Panther. That's true. He, uh, Sterling K Brown is in, is in Marshall as well. They, they, they can't seem to get away from each other. Uh, Sterling K. Brown, notably T'Chaka's oh, yeah. brother, who just decided to like infiltrate the uh, the the California gang scene and try and arm uh, arm some people with uh, with Wakandan bullets. <sighs> All right. Um, so there are two things that I want to do. Not this episode, obviously, but but two challenges per se. So. Okay. This weekend, I was at a family dollar uh, or a Dollar Tree or a Dollar General or whatever. Uh, Once you get inside, they all kind of blur together. But up front, I saw a large bin where there were probably 200 DVDs, uh, some Blu-rays, and I, I probably didn't recognize, even by name, at least 50% of the movies there. Uh, many of them looked like they were like direct to direct to DVD type releases. So I want us in the future to each go to a Dollar Tree, just kind of roulette style, pick one of the movies. It has to be one that we didn't see and like preferably one that probably didn't get a major release, watch it. And then we can each review that movie and, and explain it to each other. Uh, because I, I feel like 
there there are a lot of movies out there operating on like a $35,000 budget that didn't quite get the the release, you know, they they didn't get into Sundance and things went down from there to the point where all of the all of the copies of the movie ended up in dollar trees across the nation. So I'm all you know. for it. Yeah. Um I uh I that actually re- hits really close to home because uh I I remember one Christmas in particular uh my father went to a dollar tree and <laughs> bought maybe 30 30 DVDs uh <laughs> Um, a lot of them were old Vincent Price films. Um, Ooh, all right. Yeah, the funny thing that I remember about them was they didn't come in like a plastic cl- case that clicked open and closed. <laughs> it was kind of just like a cardboard sleeve that you just put the disc inside. But yeah, they were only a dollar. So I I, uh, I look forward to revisiting some of my childhood memories. So there, There's a really satisfying feeling of of being able to click closed a, a, a DVD uh, case like there yes. there's there's a certain comfort in in not only being able to close it now that I think about it but just that little click when you open it yep you, you slide your two fingers in the divots and then push them apart <laughs> and you just man get right in there uh, and then the second thing that I want to do is I I want us to have a challenge to see who can get the best item or items? I don't care if it's a brand. I don't care if it's a, a local business, a professional sports team. I, I want us to see who can get the best item for free from, from one of these places. Okay. Um, I do, however, want to set some ground rules. Okay. Can we lie? About what we got? No. <laughs> Uh, so I'm. I got I'm, a Mercedes. Uh, wow. <laughs> um, and I got I, Elon Musk's baby. Wow, X Ash Archangel. Thanks. That was uh, just me testing to see if you remembered the name. Yeah, nice try. I'll only be embarrassed <laughs> once on this podcast per name. Um, uh, so I, I, I want us to, like, write letters, write emails, tweet, whatever but just write something that's hopefully like blushing in its praise that will, that, that will then convince a brand or a company or a sports team or whatever to send us something for free. Okay. The reason I ask, can we lie is I feel like brands are less likely to send something to an enthusiastic 27 year old, but <laughs> may be a little bit more likely to send something to an enthusiastic seven-year-old or, you know, if, if I write a letter like, uh, dear, dear Philadelphia 76ers, my name is Davis and I am nine years old. You are my favorite team. That I think would get a little more traction than again, coming from a 27 year old. So things like right. that. I, I, I just want to set some ground rules. Okay. Can, are, are we just tying lo- uh, talking about lying about age, or can I say that I have like a serious bone condition? Uh, I I would draw the line at <laughs> serious medical condition, but if you wanted to set something else up, I I, I would say anything outside of life altering sickness, I'm okay, okay. with us uh, fibbing, if you will. You just see me on ESPN's uh, My Wish. <laughs> <laughs> 
rolling up in a wheelchair in the Cincinnati Bengals stadium. <laughs> Thank you, Joe Burrow. My wish for you. Today we're going to meet Skyler. He's a podcaster from Utah who strangely loves the Cincinnati Bengals. And is very large for a 10-year-old boy. <laughs> You're shaving in the bathroom. Um, okay. Yeah. You know, ho- hopefully, hopefully both of those will, will bear fruit sometime down into the future. Okay. Um, let's get into it. the fast five. I, I will, I will say that it was, it was slim pickings this week. So we might, it was. uh, we, 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 we might, you know, blow right through these, but first off Netflix released a movie this week called the last days of American crime. And it currently sits at 0% on the tomato meter. Yep. There are only two other movies that Netflix has released that have received this uh, unfortunate designation. And that is Gotti, uh, the, 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 the movie featuring John Travolta. And um, John Travolta has a 0% on his resume. I believe so, yeah. Oh, yikes. And you guessed it, public enemy number one, come on the pod, Adam Sandler's Ridiculous Six. Has a zero percent? It, it did, at least at one point. Now, there, there wow. is a very real possibility that maybe one or two reviewers came in and, and, and said, sure, I'd recommend this to a friend and got it up to like a two or three percent. But as for, for at least a period of time, Gotti, Ridiculous Six, and now Last Days of American Crime each sit at 0%. So I, I guess the, the reason I bring this up is, what, what do you think is the end game for Netflix on, on, on this original content? Like, do you, do, do you, think, that, do you think that the idea is for Netflix to eventually phase out all, all existing IP and move exclusively to uh, original releases? And if so, are, are you going to be sticking around for that? If, 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 that, <clears throat> if that is Netflix's long-term goal, uh, I would not stick around if, if everything they were releasing was original content. Um, let me... I guess something that I want to point at is this movie you mentioned, The Last Days of American Crime. Haven't seen it yet. Um, I, I compared it on Rotten Tomatoes to our uh, our famous first episode. I believe our first episode of Five Dollar Tuesdays, where we reviewed Baby Geniuses Two Super Babies. Of course. And both stand at zero percent tomato meter. Believe it or not, it has a worse audience score than Super Baby's Baby Geniuses 2. That's not surprising to me in the slightest. <laughs> and so, like, what I'm thinking is, if, if Netflix is, re- is going to release movies that do worse than um, something that goes, you know, straight to DVD kind of thing, mm-hmm. like, never even sniffed the movie theaters, uh, doesn't have any noteworthy... Oh, I guess actually, 
John Voight was in Super Baby's Baby Geniuses too. So um, I can't. I can't. And John say Travolta there, was in Gotti. Right. I can't say there there wasn't anyone noteworthy in these movies. Um, but there, I don't know. I feel like if you're pumping out anything that's worse than Baby Geniuses two, it Super Babies. Super babies, you're you're gonna lose my you're gonna lose my interest. Um, obviously, that's not every film, but if that's the direction they're gonna they would go, then I would probably cut ties with them. Not not every movie has to be a prestige level award winning movie. Like not, I I don't want every Netflix movie to be Roma, right? Right. But I I think that there there's something to be said about a studio. Uh, who who is continually shifting more and more toward the content creation business and absolutely whiffing on on a few movies they 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 seem at this rate to be putting out about one a year that gets a zero percent on the on the tomato meter and and i I understand that a zero percent on the tomato meter does not mean that it is a zero movie right it it, it just means that none of the critics who saw it would recommend it right. um, and I, I think that net Netflix, it has been uh, brought up. They're not they're not a traditional studio. They are very much a a tech company, and so they try to create what they anticipate uh, what what they anticipate viewers will want. Mm-hmm. So as you're watching Netflix, you are signaling to them, "Hey, I like The Office, and I like." Uh, I, I I like the blacklist or whatever, and right. and and I like classic movies. Uh, they they will then try and they 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 will then try and find ideas out there that fit that really disparate description that I just explained that no one would ever actually fall into all of those. Uh, so bad example, but you get my idea. Uh, I. Right. Uh, we we probably won't review Last Days of American Crime. It, I, I feel like it's been judged uh, well enough already. But I, I, I do hope that Netflix will continue to put thought into the things that they create and not just create things for creation's sake. Uh, especially because as as they're using the data, as I just explained, there there is hopefully some some consideration like, will people watch this? Will people want to watch this? Who is this being created for if it got a 0%? So hopefully it was just a big right. whiff uh, and, and Netflix will continue to make at least somewhat interesting original content. Uh, but yeah, RIP, The Last Days of American Crime. RIP. Second story, uh, Ari Aster. He's the guy who directed uh, Hereditary and Midsummer. He says that his next movie will be a four-hour horror comedy. Oh, horror comedy! Yeah, and four wow. hours. So a, a lot to unpack with that with that story. But uh, are you are you interested? Are you going to watch? Like, what what are the thoughts here? I uh, okay. I, I don't know if you've seen Hereditary or Midsummer. Nope, both way too spooky for me. Yeah. Um, Hereditary had some of the most disturbing scenes I've ever seen in a movie. Um, so I'm guessing, and I had heard very similar things about Midsummer. Um, this one will probably be a pass 
especially because uh, leaving the door open for four hours, I can only imagine what kind of uh, horrific images will be put into my head. Um, but good on him. He's a great director. Honestly, his movies are very unique. Uh, and he's really big into the shock factor, I think visually, especially. So I think he's a great director. Um, I will pass personally. Would it change your mind if I told you that 2018's Hereditary won the MTV Movie Award for most frightened performance? What does that mean? What does the most frightened performance mean? <laughs> I don't know. I, um, I, I just didn't know if that would be a deal breaker for you. There, there was like an actor who was terrified the whole time they were filming. <laughs> it's like, it, it, it's like uh, Tor, uh, Tony Collette was just absolutely terrified um, because she had a recent run in uh, with, with her, uh, her estranged, uh, <laughs> her estranged mother-in-law. <laughs> And she can't, she can't cope with it very well. So she's just dealing with real life uh, events while on the set of a horror film. Never have we seen such sustained horror response in a movie as Tony Collette and Hereditary. And that is why this year's MTV Award for Most Frightened Performance goes to Hereditary. Um, yeah. So Was it I, Tony I, Collette that won it? I have no idea. Oh, okay. I, I I just saw it on the Google page and okay. thought, you know, hey. <laughs> I mean, if 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 Ari Aster's bringing in hardware like that, maybe this movie's worth a second look. Might um, be. I so I'm not gonna see it no matter what. Like okay. Ari Aster appears to be the it guy for for horror right now. Mm-hmm. Like just can't miss making two absolutely like. Like, like genre defining films uh right. so i i think that he has been granted the the space in which to work on something like this i will however say years ago like like when we when we were doing the first version of this podcast i believe that there was a news item that talked about how christopher nolan's new film which eventually became tenet was going to be like six hours or something. There, there, there was going to be like an intermission. And, right. and so I, I don't know how, how things like this operate. Like if, if a director comes into the, uh, the, the, the producer's meeting and talks about this grand vision and, and has everything about it. Uh, but, and, and then it just kind of gets whittled down to something a little more palatable for general audiences. But, uh, I would be surprised if we end up seeing a four-hour horror comedy by Ari Aster. But again, if, if, that, if that's the vision, like, you know, more power to him because he's definitely earned the right to, to experiment in that space a little bit more. Agreed. All right. Uh, item number three. The Criterion Channel is making available a number of films made by black filmmakers for free. Uh, so you you can go onto Criterion's website and find a whole cache of of a number of films made by Black filmmakers, uh, some of of real cultural significance that can be streamed for free. So um, I, I guess 
I, I don't need like a quick reaction on this one quite as much, but I think um, especially as in the current moment, we're seeing more people looking to become educated on, um, on, on, you know, blackness and, uh, and, and understanding a little bit more of, of the things that, that are more particular to the black experience, uh, criterion channel opening up this, uh, th- this collection of movies and, and shedding light on some black filmmakers who frankly may have been overlooked in years past is really cool. Uh, as I have looked for uh, books, movies, documentaries about and from black makers, uh, you, you see that there's definitely a void uh, in, in collections of, of classic films, you know, books, et cetera. So, so very, very cool of Criterion to do this. That yeah, that is really cool. I I'll, I'll probably be checking some of them out. Um, I, I one thing that just a quick thought on it. Um, I I really admire Jordan Peele's work um, as not just as a comedian but as a director. Um, and I believe uh, after his last movie Us came out, he was asked uh, uh, with the two releases of the 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 release I should say of both of his movies being very big um he I believe someone asked him if he had any intention of uh casting white leads um in his movies and he I mean he said he had absolutely no plan to do that and and good on him I I think it's really cool uh to see a, a a very different um perspective on things and uh i i appreciate his uh um i don't want to i i guess i i really appreciate his his candidness um with with just you know speaking what he thinks and uh we need we need more great directors like uh, jordan peele and you know the spike lees of the world to get get at the forefront of the movie industry yeah, yeah, and 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 you you mentioned Spike Lee, another one who has been apologetic, unapologetic rather, in casting black leads and making black movies. So uh, we 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 certainly applaud the effort by Criterion to to try and open that up. And I know that even uh, major major studios have have opened up at least for the month of June. Uh, you can stream Selma and Just Mercy both for free o- over the course of this month, which are. Uh, Excellent, excellent movies. They, they tell a, a very real perspective on, on things going on both in the past and, and that lead up to today. So um, yeah, lot, lots, of, lots of really cool stuff to, to look up on, uh, get educated and, and check those out. Um, all right. So Ridley Scott was recently interviewed and said that he wanted to re-evolve the Alien franchise. So he, in an interview, he said, quote, I still think there's a lot of mileage in Alien, but I, I think you, you'll have to now re-evolve. Um, I don't know if I said revolve the first time, but he said re-evolve if I didn't get that the first, first time around. Um, what, what are you thinking? It is, is there still life in the Alien franchise? There probably is. Uh, it's, it's kind of like the Terminator uh, like yes. I, I feel like it's getting to this point where it is a little different though, because Terminator does a lot with time travel. Um, and so I feel like there's a lot more you can access in that realm. 
Um, but the Alien franchise seems to be dipping into the, the Terminator um, concept of, of just, like, repetition, I, I should say. Um, I, I think it, 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 it's, like, a cool idea to, you know, keep, keep the old story going. Um, but I just, I mean, why can't Ridley Scott just pump out something new, too? Like... I thought Prometheus was really cool because it has like aspects of the alien franchise in it, but like the alien wasn't really in, like the Xenomorph wasn't in the movie itself. And so um, I, I think that Ridley Scott has enough ideas in him to where we could, we should be breaking away from alien. Remember Animorphs? Animorphs? Yeah. The book like series? The, the books? Yeah. Were those the ones where, like, you, you, you would hold it and you, you'd have this holographic picture of a, a, of a little, a, of, a, of a young man and he would turn into a centaur or, a, a, like, a centaur with uh, antlers or something weird? Usually they weren't morphing into mystical, magical beasts, but more just, like, <laughs> a hawk or something. Okay. Uh, but, okay. but yes. Yeah, by by far the most interesting part of the books were the cover because you would you would see these these teenage models slowly morphing into an animal of their choice or maybe not of their choice I can't remember um, but uh, there about about halfway down the cover there would be just these horrifying images where a human body is being edited to try and look like the shape of a mouse <laughs> or a squid or something. And anyway, uh, I, I never got past the cover with those, but yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I, I'm aware. I, I tried reading a few from the library, but ne- never really broke in. Uh, and that, that's been our Animorphs talk. You, you just said Xenomorph and that kind of <laughs> thing uh, tickled that spot in my brain. Um, oh gosh! I, R- real quick, sorry. Yeah, yeah, um, please. I'm I'm looking at, I'm looking at some of the covers for Animorphs, mm-hmm. and th- this one has a young boy who's turning into a rattlesnake, mm-hmm. and the second and third animations of this kid as a rattlesnake are terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow! Oh my gosh! Yeah, you've. You've got you've to gotta take some time and look at <laughs> this kid's turning into a hammerhead shark just diving oh, into the ocean. Yeah, it's pretty scary stuff. What, what, what if you were an anamorph and you had the ability to morph into like a hammerhead shark, but you lived in like Lincoln, Nebraska, and you like ne- never got to use that power? You're, you're like, oh no, some, something's happening. Let me morph. And you're just at like some strip mall. Like nowhere to go, nothing to do, nowhere near a salt salt body of water. What are these kids like superheroes, or did they just, you know, on occasion, like to take a swim? You're you're really pushing me to like the extreme outer limits of my animorphs knowledge, but okay, I I, I believe that there was uh, that there there like. There were a number of these kids who were aware of each other, and okay. and they they used these powers to fight off, I believe, some sort of like alien uh, 
alien power. There, there might have even been something about like big floating brains, but I could be oh. mixing in like Rick and Morty or something. Um, I, I just sent you a text of one of these covers that I saw. It's, uh, it, it's a young man who doesn't show the transformation from human to animal, but the picture is a hawk turning into what oh, I described. God. As a centaur with antennas. All right, I I take it back. Uh, th- this is definitely a hawk changing into a a really ripped blue horseman thing with 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 antennae and a pointed nose and a nose that looks like a ladybug. And I think that the antennae also have eyes, even though he has human eyes too. <laughs> Yeah, we're uh, all kind of confused. Yeah, and, and and like the subcaption on the on the book it says animorphs change happens whether we like it or not. So I don't know, maybe the whole maybe the whole book series was just uh dealing with like the the anxieties that come with puberty. I don't know. Anyway, that <laughs> has been our animorphs talk. <laughs> All right, Tenet has officially been pushed back. So we, we are going to blow by the July release date. July 17th was the original release. No official new date announced. Um, do you think we're going to get it in 2020? I think we'll get it in 2020. I'm guessing... I'm guessing we'll get it in August. Okay. So, not too much later. And I I know that a lot of movies have have pushed back to kind of the the fall Christmas time um mm-hmm. try, trying to capitalize on like the the Thanksgiving holiday and, and as I mentioned Christmas New Year's uh time. And I I hope that we get Tenet before that. Uh unfortunately there's still plenty of plenty of room to kind of land the plane on one of these huge releases and still not bump up against too many more movies because we, we have Black Widow, Wonder Woman 1984, and Dune. Th- those are kind of the, the bigger releases that are each scheduled for later in the year. Um, but again, I mean, e- even in a two-month window, you, you could you could find a spot where you've got a good two weeks where you're kind of the new big movie. Yeah. Um, but like what one, one of these movies has to be the barometer, right? We, we, we've got to, we've got to kind of send one of these balloons out on a weather balloon and see if people are willing to, to head back to theaters to see it. Um, if, if it came out in August, would you see it? Yes. I'm, I'm planning. I don't care when it comes out. I'm going to see it. I'm going to see it the week that it comes out for sure. Okay. Um, I, I probably will too. I mean, I, I, I gotta see it. Uh, I like if, if I Frankenstein made anything clear, it's that I need more good movies in my life. (laughs) Let's jump into our, review of citizen kane so this was a little bit 
off the beaten path, not exactly a new release, but uh, Skylar, you, you mentioned you wanted something that kind of challenged us, went in a different direction and gave us and hopefully our viewers an excuse to watch one of the most highly regarded films in, in the history of cinema. So uh, g- give me your score out of 100 and then maybe just 30, 45 seconds of high level, like uh, overall impressions. Score out of 100, I would give it an, um, let's see. In, this, this is hard for me. And I, I had an, a little bit of an internal battle because um, it's, a, it, it's a great film for its time, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I felt like what Orson Welles did was very, like, way before its time, right? It, it doesn't adapt to today's uh movie industry um where you would say oh this is one of the best one of the best movies of all time um i i think in a lot of ways you could compare that to like the beatles even where i think the beatles are a, a lot of who they are uh, regard, uh regarded as one of the the greatest uh, bands of all time because of how big they were during the time that they were in um you could also say the same maybe of like Elton John. Uh, but I, I think that um, coming into today's world, Citizen Kane would not be as popular as it was then. That being said, that was very long-winded thought. I would give it an 85, all things considered, out of 100. So like you're, you're, you're saying, you know, Citizen Kane, good movie, but – just, just, just like the Beatles are no Steve Aoki, uh, Citizen Kane <laughs> it, it is is no. I'm saying no. the Beatles are no Gnarly Davidson. Exactly. Okay. Yes. 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 Gnarly Davidson, to his credit, I think would have been like a huge spectacle <laughs> in the 1960s. So, uh, yeah, you know. Agreed. It, it, it's all about timing. I think I think uh, I, this is what I thought. I thought it was a really good movie. Movie, sorry, not a movie. Movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, those are man boobies. If, if anyone was wondering, <laughs> um, maybe even a great movie. <laughs> sorry, I just did it again. Maybe even a great movie, um, but it was not a top five or ten movie of all time, in my opinion. Movie, movie. Yeah, so my my thoughts are right in line with yours. So I, I actually was doing a little bit of introspection and started to worry because like if if every movie that we review, we just fawn over it and give it all this great praise, like I've given some pretty major reviews or like scores on on the movies that we've done so far. And so going into this, I was thinking, all right, I, I need to be a little more critical in, in, in my approach. And, uh, you know, we, we've, we've been able to review some great movies in my opinion, but I, I, wa- I wanted to make sure that I was giving a little more thought to the numbers that, uh, that, that I was handing out because if every movie is a 90, no movie is a 90. Um, right. With that in mind, I gave Citizen Kane an 83. Um, I, I think some of the things that they were able to do, especially with the cinematography, was just jaw-dropping, like so well done. And, and, and I think that 
the way in which this film was shot gave you a lot to think about. There, there, there were a lot of things beyond what you're seeing on the screen that, that you can kind of pick apart and, and really enjoy on, on a different level. That being said, I, I personally felt like the exposition that we got in the movie was awfully heavy handed. Um, there, there, there were multiple times where I would, I would see something and kind of smile to myself because I realized what they were doing. And then it would be explained to us five minutes later. Uh, so, so one, one, for example, was when, uh, when, when, when Kane is with, uh, Susan Alexander and, and he, he gets married and it says, um, uh, like, like Kane, Kane marries singer and it has singer in air quotes. Uh, and, and I thought, oh, that's, you know, that, that, that's clever. Um, mm-hmm. a, a nice little nod to Susan Alexander's inability. Um, right. And then like five minutes later, he's at the, he's at one of the inquirers and they say, didn't you see what they did on the paper? They even put singer in air quotes cause she can't sing. And, and again, like I, I understand that that was a product of its time. Uh, I, I think back to like Alfred Hitchcock's psycho where you, you get the really dramatic ending and then there needs to be a few minutes to, to kind of process what, what's gone on. And you, you have someone who just stands up and explains what you just saw. Um, but anyhow, because of that, I, I feel like I was being taken out of the movie a few times uh, and, and, and wasn't able to enjoy it as much as I would have hoped. That being said, I, I was awfully worried about this movie. I, I thought it was going to be a chore, but um, I mean, good, good watch. Like I, I was enjoying yeah. myself while, while watching the movie. So worth your time if you haven't seen it. Um, get, getting into, we'll, we'll just kind of break the, break the movie down bit by bit um first off you've got you've got this opening scene right and it's like very moody very gothic um i i I was getting excited to see what was going on on the castle and then all of a sudden there's just a sign in the foreground that says hole 13 par 5 and i was thinking like i've been on putt-putt courses that are like better kept than than this (laughs) <laughs> so, you know, a, a little bit unsettled. And then the the death scene for Kane felt like that video that Gabe made on The Office, uh, that that like cinema of the unsettling, because uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it, we, we get like a quick zoom and then a, an extreme close up on the mouth. Rosebud. And then he he drops the snow globe. Uh, and, and it, you know, it breaks and then we get like the fish eye lens anyway, weird, weird kind of setup, but then we get like 10 straight minutes of exposition. We, we, we get, and kind kind of the, uh, we, we, we get the eulogy of Kane's life and we get information about Xanadu. Uh, and, and, and the whole thing is, you know, what, what is, what is Rosebud? We, we decide that there would be, um, we, we, we decide, hey, if we can figure out what Rosebud is about, um, we, we, can, we can understand his life. Mm-hmm. As a viewer, and, and I know that we, we were each coming into this the first time, did you enjoy 
the task of trying to figure out what is Rosebud throughout the film. Yeah. Um, see, and I haven't seen, I will admit, I have not seen a lot of movies from this, this um, like from this era of film. Huh. Normie. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, <laughs> this is my, I, I'm an amateur in the, in the realm. Um, I push Shaw at the fact that you haven't seen very many movies. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I wondered while I was watching it, how many movies really like ha- had a, a, a twist ending, you know, similar to that. I, I think of psycho maybe obvious, like you were mentioning it is similar in that, in that regard where it has an ending that you really don't expect. But I thought that like the idea was really, it, it, I mean, it was it was a, a, a great idea um, that this entire film we're trying to explore, we're we're exploring the life of uh, a mysterious man who's this this you know newspaper mogul, and we're trying to you know decipher his life by his last word, and um, they kind of keep you at the edge of your seat trying to you're 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 you know, who's going to tell you what Rosebud is kind of thing. And uh, yeah, I, I really liked the way it was, it was handled. I thought Orson Welles did a really good job with that. Yeah. I, 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 I kind of go back and forth on it. I, I, I enjoyed it um, just a, a, as a thing to kind of keep me engaged. But as, as we learn more about Kane and about, and as we progress through the movie, you, you you start to kind of realize that you know the 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 answer is is a lot less important than the quest which i think is part part of the movie but anyhow um so this this reporter is is sent to go find out what is rosebud what does that mean and he he interviews a couple different people first he interviews thatcher who was the banker and that kind of takes us through kane's early childhood so, so, so we, we see a young Charles Kane playing, you know, out in the snow or whatever. And I don't totally understand like why this was the late 1800s was a different time, man. Like my dad is a banker and he was thankfully never asked to raise some hayseed from a podunk town whose parents just randomly came into a lot of money um but yeah he i mean the 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 mom and dad dropped him like he was hot uh they 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 just put a postage stamp on his butt and had him go live with the banker uh it was yeah it's from from what i understood sorry from that scene to cut you off please please it, it seemed like the mom was trying to get charles out of the situation because the his father was like maybe abusive or was that was i was i that, you know, no, reading that kind of yeah, I, I, I understood it the same way. I just felt like she was so stone faced throughout it and, and mentioning mm. like, I packed his bags a week ago. I, 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 <laughs> like I just she was didn't... ready for him to get yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like it wasn't all about her. her it was like, yeah, I, I can't raise this kid anymore. <laughs> like that, if, if that kid asked me to go and play out in the snow one more time, <laughs> I'm going to send him to live with the banker. Uh, yeah. So it makes you wonder. So wait, why do you think the banker, 
did it explain why he wanted this kid? I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think so. Thatcher definitely played like an advisory role to, to Charles. And, and, and I don't know if his plan was hopefully if I can endear myself to this kid while, while the wealth accumulates that hopefully one day we'll be able to take this money. I can be kind of his financial advisor, take a cut of, of, of whatever he's doing and get rich off of it. But right. if, if that was his plan, it blew up in his face because he, uh, you know, Kane learns about all of his assets and, and, you know, he doesn't care about the gold mine. He doesn't care about this and that. He just says, I think it would be fun to run a newspaper. And I, I don't know if you noticed this, but Kane's newspaper, the, the Inquirer, was incredibly self-congratulatory. Like it, it would, it would, there, there'd be an article spinning onto this onto the page, and it'd say like, you know, issue X is a big deal, and then there'd be a follow-up edition, and it would be like, the Inquirer did a great job of exposing issue X, uh, and, and it just like continued to show these problems and then write a follow-up front page article about how great the Inquirer did on covering it. So <laughs> de de definitely not devoid of like pride in, in his right, work. Right, Um, But one, one thing I noticed, so there, we, we, we get a general idea um, about, about, Kane's net worth because they, they they mentioned something about like he's losing a million dollars a year and he said well if I keep at this rate I'll have to close in 60 years <laughs> meaning he has an approximate net worth or at least is liquid about 60 million dollars so for fun right. I, I decided to look up a few people who were worth approximately 60 million dollars today okay uh a, a couple basketball players. We've got Julius Randle, who is okay. worth about $60 million. Karis Levert from the Brooklyn Nets. Eric Gordon. Mm. And then in entertainment, we have Blake Shelton and Rachel Ray. And with, with, with these $60 million, this movie is pitching Kane as like one of the wealthiest men in the world. Like he, he has FU money. He can just do whatever and and I'm just trying to imagine like Julius Randall or Blake Shelton running this passion project of a, of a newspaper and people telling them like, you're losing a million dollars a year. And Julius Randall smugly looking at his financial advisor and saying, well, if I keep it this rate, I'll have to close in 60 years. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, I, I and I think even later on when you, when it talks about his, uh, I think it may be towards the very end of the film talks about like all the statues he mm -hmm. has accumulated. And it, they mentioned, I mean, even in the statues alone, it was some, some sort of like, I thought they said in the twenties, 20 million range or something along those lines. I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but uh, a good chunk of his wealth was definitely spent. So it makes makes you wonder how much, yeah, if he could even potentially be worth more than that if he was spending a lot of his money, if that's how much he was just losing on the business alone. Right. Well, and then like, so at, we we get 
Bernstein's perspective, who's like the the director of the board or chairman of the board or whatever, and and we we see some of the success. Uh, the, the the Inquirer grows to uh, to take over some of the rival newspapers, grab grab the the the, the people from uh, from that newspaper, and I mean not not a ton to like pick apart here, but mm-hmm. one one thing. Uh, <laughs> so. So Kane goes over to Europe, right? And and he he comes home with with with, with his wife, the president's niece. But uh, he 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 comes back and they have this giant, enormous trophy congratulating him on coming home from Europe. <laughs> like, could you imagine taking a few weeks of PTO and and and, and coming back to your office? And there being a trophy on your desk that makes it look like you just beat Novak Djokovic on the red clay of Roland Garros. Like he, he, he's hoisting this major hardware for coming back from, from a vacation. So, and he doesn't even take 10 seconds to acknowledge the trophy. He's like, how, oh, yeah. why, why thank you. Gotta go. Yeah. Yeah. Got, got a skedaddle. And Orson Welles has never and would never, May he rest in peace, say skedaddle. I, I officially rescind that comment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm not sure if you remember this, but he, uh, he, he was in like this white linen suit coming, uh, coming in from, from Europe. Like he, he looked like he <laughs> yes. had just hopped off the plane from Havana or something, had, had yes. a few stogies in the cart and, uh, and, and was just swinging by to, to pick up his giant trophy. <laughs> Yeah, um, <laughs> one thing that from the Bernstein flashback that I, I thought was kind of interesting, mm-hmm. I, I I believe it showed both of these in the in the Bernstein flashback, but it talked about I I believe towards the beginning they um, uh, Charles Foster Kane wrote down like his his uh, I don't even remember what, how he worded it, but like his his visions or his goal for the newspaper or something along those lines. Um, and it seemed initially like it was a, a, a moral endeavor, right? Like mm-hmm. it seemed yeah, like very much um, when he bought it, maybe not much is so more like a hobby. Um, but he kind of, he, 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 he really took on like this attitude of wanting to get the truth out there and, um, I mean, he's very dedicated to it, especially with all the uh, smut he writes about his his uh, his guardian, um, that Mr. Thatcher, right? And so, like, true or not true, he's willing to expose the truth. Um, mm-hmm. Or what? That didn't make any sense. True or not true, willing to expose <laughs> the truth. <laughs> and I just nodded along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sounds great. Yeah, um, <laughs> really good. <laughs> I, I mean. Uh, like whether or not he is, uh, you know, dragging his family members' names through the mud, he's going to expose the truth, right? Right, or um, or, 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 or even to that point, like uh, there 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 was a point at which he was going after, I think, like the transit authority or something, and he was one of the major stockholders, like shareholders in the in the transit authority. So we right we we, we see someone who 
grew up around wealth, but was not molded or affected by it in any way when it comes to like his moral sensibilities. He, he knows what's right. He wants to fight for the people and, and, and he's willing to uh, do that at great personal cost. Definitely. Um, and, and I believe it was also during this Bernstein flashback where he is, he, he they're much older. And I believe Mr. Thatcher is uh, very old in this scene. And um, he talks about how like he has, he, he says something along the lines of, Thatcher says to, to um, Kane, you know, if you had invested your money rather than spending it, uh, you'd be a great man like me or something like that. And uh, he, he, he just doesn't care about the money. You know, he, he's much more, at least at some point in his life, um, much more interested in using that money for things and find like buying statues in particular, but um, you know, buying things that, you know, bring him joy, I guess, in a sense. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I thought that was super interesting, his, his initial reasons for getting into the newspaper. And then it, it really, especially when, uh, when his partner, I can't Leland, Mr. Mm-hmm. Leland. Uh, Jedediah really, Leland. They, they, <laughs> they really start, it almost turns into a business, um, uh, like starts turning into a money-making thing as right, uh, Mr. Right. Leland gets more involved in it and his attitudes about the newspaper stories shift. So, well, so let, let, let's, let's talk about Leland. Cause he, he's the next one uh, in, in, in this chain. And he, he kind of talks about the transition from wife one to wife two. Now a quick note on the old Leland's appearance. He looks like Johnny Knoxville from Jackass's bad grandpa. Uh, and, and, and he just, he, he's like this really lecherous, like weird old guy. He, he's in like a smoking jacket and these, and, and these round black glasses that look like you'd wear while smoking opium. Um, and, and, and he just, he, yeah, he, uh, he, he talks about like, well, if you want to know about, Charlie Kane, you've come to the right man. I know more about that old dog than anyone still walking this earth. And I, I don't know. He, he just sideswipes the nurses about how, like, they say that nurses uh, are, are good looking, but that's, that's as false in my day as it was when I heard it as a kid. And the nurses are like, all right, dude, come on. Let's, you know, chip chop, chip chop. <laughs> I, 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 thought, I thought he kind of looked like... Um... If you've ever seen the the Disney movie of Holes with mm-hmm. Shia LaBeouf, yeah, he he kind of looked like looks like when the Sigourney Weaver's character, the warden, is a young child and her grandfather's making her dig holes. Yeah, <laughs> she he he kind of looks like the grandpa as a as an old prospector forcing Sigourney Weaver to dig holes in the middle of the desert. Yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I I like how during this time and 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 this this gets back to my comment about the cinematography like i i like how they were telling a visual story at times uh and and allowing at least a few things to to transfer without someone having to be the narrator uh or or explain what we're seeing but um as as the first 
marriage deteriorates, we we see Cain and his wife like slowly start sitting further and further away from each other on the uh, at, at the dinner table, and that that actually continues with uh, with, with with Susan Alexander, which we'll, we'll we'll get to in a bit. But um, yeah, I I felt it was a really human moment uh, when when Cain started to develop this relationship with. Susan Alexander, just because she didn't know who he was, right? And and it made me think about like if you're LeBron James, or or, or if you're you know someone of just incredible power and influence, you've always got to be feeling in the back of your mind like what does this person want from me? Like how how do you mm. make new friends if if you if you're Jeff Bezos, right? Like right. like if if you're this wealthy magnate, do you just keep the crew that you've had? since since before you were wealthy because it it it, it must have been refreshing uh for for kane to have this doe-eyed 22 year old who wants to be a famous singer you know not not know a thing about him and not really expect anything in return um you you talked earlier about how uh basically everyone knew well not everyone but um, at least the media um, mocked the idea that she was a singer, mm-hmm. um, even though Kane really loved her voice, right? And so <laughs> there's a scene that I thought was really funny where I-, I believe it's a member of the media is talking to them while they're driving, getting ready to drive away in the car and um, says something, the, the, the um, journalist or whatever says something to Kane along the lines of, um, you know, what if she doesn't get into the opera or something like that? And Kane says, uh, yeah. she's going to get in. And besides, if she doesn't get in, I'll build her an opera house. And, and, and then the car drives away. And the very next scene is Kane builds, or the newspaper heading is Kane builds an opera house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, that yeah. That, 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 the, the story that was being told with, with the newspapers uh, again was one of the few times where we didn't have someone come on the screen and, you know, say, you might be a little confused by this movie right now. So here's what's going on. Um, <laughs> but, but I, I really appreciated that, that humorous note. Right. And so we, we of course see the story of Kane's life play out like in time, but we're also seeing the, the, the remnants uh, if you will, of, of Kane's social circle and kind of those that were around when, when he was living certain parts of his life. And when we, when we meet Susan Alexander, she's like this wino booze hound who is penniless and, you know, totally down on her luck. But she sounded like Harley Quinn. You know, me and Mr. K, we ain't together no more. He wasn't, he wasn't <laughs> treating me right. And so we, we were in Splitsville. Uh, <sighs> had it till the That's end. That's very but, good. Yeah. yeah. You know, we're we're working on it. Um, I, I'd be lying if I said that was the first time I I tried it because I, I I did feel very strongly that that was <laughs> Harley Quinn incarnate. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, and and so this like this part of the film has some of the most iconic imagery. Like like we we see Susan on the stage performing, uh, and I I just didn't know like if you were surprised by any of the things that you had seen maybe that had been like repeated in uh in pop culture multiple times because i i I thought it was gonna play out a little bit differently 
Right. Um, yeah, I guess I didn't have, I, I, you know, I thought was interesting about the, the scenes with Susan performing was again, the newspaper articles and some of them, I, I, I may be wrong on this. You can correct me, but it seemed like some of the audience actually at some point enjoyed her performance. Like I, I, I could be wrong, but at, at least I remember one article um, maybe they were being facetious. I don't remember, but saying that the audience was enjoying, uh, enjoying her, her singing, but. Oh, um, sorry. Just like to, to jump in. I, I think yeah. one of the things uh, that, that played out that I thought was interesting was as, as it continued. So, uh, so Kane finished that scathing review that, uh, that, that Leland had started about right. Susan's performance and then he fired her. And then as she went from city to city, uh, there, there were more and more articles from like, she's in San Francisco from the San Francisco inquirer from the mm. Kansas city inquirer. So all of those news agencies that are under Kane's thumb, gotcha. those were the fawning reviews. And, okay. and, and, and I think again, it, it was just, it was, it was a way to make, the moment when Leland sends Kane the uh, that that credo that he wrote years and years and years ago, e- even more poignant and and kind of right painful. to make him look bad. Yeah, right, okay. right. So yeah, uh, I, I I actually really like that. Again, it's a very clever movie. Uh, I I just think that there the the heavy handedness of the um of of the description was and, and, and exposition was a little much that about does it for me um yeah i i think this was a great movie definitely worth a watch having seen it i'm a little bit annoyed uh at at how many like references i've heard or like speculation about what rosebud is um mm-hmm. just because I, I i feel like i feel like that was the MacGuffin, the, the thing that was driving the plot for the film. Uh, right. And, and I could very easily be wrong about this, but I feel like for us as the, as the viewers, it's not really as, as imperative for us to understand what was that one, like, like what exactly was Rosebud again, could be wrong, but um, I, I, I felt like it was more a means to an end than something for us to, uh, to unlock as the viewers. Yeah. Yeah. I think they were right in it, this might not make any sense. I'm just trying to get my words out here, but I think that, that at, at the very beginning um, when, you know, there, there's the narrator explaining uh, Xanadu and, and all of, you know, Kane's. Xanadu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, f- just following that, the, the, the man in charge of, uh, the media there that, you know, sends Thompson out to find information about Kane. He, he mentions, he, he, I think he's right um, by saying that understanding Rosebud is understanding Kane, like understanding, right. uh, you know, you know, really more of his life than what this little exposition was showing. But in my mind, the, like Kane's, that being Kane's last words, um, what was somewhat confusing. Uh, I, 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 don't, I like, I thought, it, I, I think the idea makes sense, at least how I understood it was that 
um, just a longing for his childhood and a simpler way mm-hmm. uh, of, you know, of life. That, that was really what came to my mind. Um, but I guess I was kind of thrown off by that being his last word. And it felt more like it was um, kind of imposed into the story to keep the audience going along. Uh, right. rather than it being essential, like doesn't necessarily need to make sense why those were his last words. Right. Uh, whereas it helps us get on the path um, that takes us along this journey to understanding what Rosebud is. Yep. Yeah, totally agree. Um, yeah, I, 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 I am with you. Um, okay. And again, good movie. Check it out. Um, worth Definitely. All right. So to wrap up, we, we are going to do our, our metal stand of best movie endings. So uh, a, a lot of people love the uh, love Citizen Kane top to bottom, but, but definitely love that those ending scenes kind of where, where they're waxing poetic about what Rosebud was. Um, right. And so we're going to do our bronze, silver, and gold medalists of best uh, best movie endings. So Skylar, I'll start with you. Bronze medalist, what do you got? My bronze medalist um, is, I mean, maybe one of the most shocking endings. I don't know. I, I, I can't even say that because there have been endings that are equally as shocking. Um, I, would, I have Planet of the Apes as my bronze, um, the original mm. Planet of the Apes. And... <laughs> I don't know if there's a whole lot to say about it or if I even, I even want to spoil the ending, but if you haven't seen planet of the apes, definitely worth the see. Get your hands off me. You damn dirty apes. <laughs> That's it. Davis spoiled it. <laughs> In the end, the apes were put dirty. their damn dirty hands on Charlton Heston. <laughs> what about you? What's your bronze? So my bronze is a movie that I saw recently. Uh, I, I don't know if I mentioned it on the pod, but Annihilation, um, mm. really, really great movie. It, it keeps you guessing. The, so I, I will say like the ending scenes are uh, just crazy. Like you, you kind of get to the climax. Um, things are a little unsettled. And, and, and the whole movie, there, there's this big question like, why why did this one character make it through uh everything and 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 no one else did and she's trying to kind of explain her her innocence and and how everything happened anyhow uh really great climax but but it ends on just enough of a question mark um as as to where you you can take it a lot of different ways uh, I, I almost put uh, Inception here as, mm. as, as my bronze medalist. And, and I think that both of these end on a similar tone where, you know, the, the, the top is spinning or, or you kind of see in the irises a, a little glimmer of something that could, uh, that, that could tip you off either way. So great, great right. movie. And I, I thought it stuck the landing really well. Okay. <clears throat> For my silver, I have a Christopher Nolan movie. Uh, I, I, I felt like I couldn't leave Christopher Nolan out, him being my favorite, and he's got a, a plethora of, mo- of movies that have terrific endies, endings. And so I opted Indies. to go for the... Pres- <laughs> his, his, 
his movies have the best indies. <laughs> At least he doesn't. His movies don't have the best undies. Am I right? <laughs> Um, oh my gosh, Where, what is happening to our podcast? <laughs> Real quick, have you ever seen um, Be Kind Rewind? No, but that, that was another movie <laughs> that I always, okay, that, that, that was a movie that I wanted to rent on iTunes all the time. Yeah, it's so uh, good. But then I never did. Maybe we'll so, review it. There's a scene just real quick. It's it's, yeah, it's yeah, one of the funniest scenes. So so basically what happens is um they uh most deaf I, I I'm not sure if he runs the movie store or if he if he's just an employee at this movie store. It's been a while since mm-hmm. I've seen it. But um Jack Black comes in with like this magnetized suit <laughs> and erases all of the movies from the VHSs. And so they they're they're having to go and reenact and and act out all of the movies and there there's a scene from it, it's funny because it, it seems like they don't even know what's going on in most of the movies but there's a scene from Boys in the Hood mm-hmm. where <laughs> Jack Black's just like like all he says is what's happening to our hood <laughs> <laughs> like and, and that's the big scene from the movie like they have no idea what the actual plot is. That's funny. Anyway, that's that's kind of what reminded me when I said, what's happening to our podcast? Anyway. Um, <laughs> All right. Silver medalist. <laughs> silver medalist. I chose the prestige. Um, I, I was battling between Memento and the prestige, and I ended on that one uh, just because Christopher Nolan does such a good job with his movies. Like, th- there's so much more. The, the ending, I don't think, is much of a twist as much as it's like, the entire story is building up to the ending and it's mm-hmm. uh, especially in the prestige it's been in front of you all along um and it just comes to a head rather than it being a i feel like a twist so i yep. i i had that for my silver i'm gonna save my comments about the prestige uh and just move right along to my silver medal uh and that is empire strikes back i nice. i, I obviously like great movie i'm a huge star wars fan so you know love it i think empire is a near perfect movie and it's another one of those ones where you get you you get a lot of like things coming together uh leading to this great climax and um you you have like han in carbonite you know betrayed by lando you you you've got the fight between darth vader and luke uh, hand goes off. Ah, um, you know, search your feelings. You know it to be true. Um, he, Luke, that 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 is, is confronted with this reality that his dad is like the worst guy in the galaxy. Um, I, I I just think tonally it it creates the perfect amount of drama uh, to to continue the the middle part of a trilogy, which I think is universally agreed to be like the hardest movie to kind of pull off. Uh, Cause you're, you're just bridging the beginning and the end. Uh, and, and so to be a self-contained movie that, that can do that well is, is really tough. Um, but anyway, I, I, I really, really wish that I could have, you know, been there in 1980, seen the movie yeah. and then just like, could you imagine knowing? Wow, I gotta wait three years to <laughs> to see what happens with all this. 
Yeah, it's great. It's like the the bad guys win, right? It's like the portion of the hero's journey where it's just so bleak at the end, and you're like, that I can't wait to see how it ends. You're totally right. But yeah, I I, I would. Uh, Empire Empire Strikes Back made my honorable mentions list. So, um, as well as uh, you mentioned, Inception was also on that list. So mm-hmm. I would totally agree that um, definitely worth your watch if you are the point zero zero one percent of the population that hasn't seen the movie yeah <laughs> hey uh quick 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 wreck uh I, I would definitely recommend watching uh this franchise called star wars or uh or inception if, if you haven't gotten to them yet <laughs> yeah exactly okay for my gold um i i okay i struggled with this one because i had to pick a horror movie because horror movies typically have some of the best endings, I think, in my mm-hmm. own opinion. Um, before I mention my gold, I'm just going to mention. I'm just going to say my honorable mentions. Sure. Okay? So I fly. had the thing. I had the thing on there. Um, Inglorious Bastards, which is not a horror movie, but my favorite Tarantino film. Um, if you're uh, a Nazi, the- that's a horror film. If you're a Nazi, that's a horror film. I love the alternate history uh, yeah. aspect of it. Uh, Memento, the, uh, another Christopher Nolan that I had on here. Fight Club, The Shining. And my last one was actually Whiplash, which uh, I thought had just a stellar ending, which was, you know, really came out of the blue. But for my gold, I have the movie Seven. Mm. Uh, with, with Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman as my gold medalist. Um I thought just the the shock factor, yeah. the absolute unexpectedness of what you get with that movie. Um, I thought it was, oh, it was just, and the bad guy wins, right? The bad yeah. guy, the bad guy wins, which is the ultimate horror movie. And so, um, I thought seven uh, seven tops my list for best movie endings. Yeah. No, great list. Uh, seven was just bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. Um, yeah, so I, I, I kind of tipped my hand a little bit. Um, you, you probably know what's coming for my gold. Uh, it's Coneheads. I, I, I just think... <laughs> Dan Aykroyd at his finest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, my, mine, mine's the prestige. Um, and, and you, I mean, you, you said it really well, just it's, it's in front of you the whole time. Uh, but I, I was, I was shocked seeing, seeing that ending and, and just kind of realizing like, Oh my gosh, Holy, Holy crap. Like, you know, th- th- this, this whole time it, w- it was right in front of me. And my, my, my wife and I have discussed at length, all of the crazy things that they had to do, like yeah. share a family. Uh, one, one guy loses a finger. All right, let's, you know, gotta, gotta make this real. Um, totally. Crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. And I, I think um, highlights a level of devotion to one's craft that I don't think that I or most people would possess for anything. So yeah, right. really, really cool movie. Um, Really well acted, but yeah, love, love, love the ending. All right. Well, uh, that was a great list, by the way. Yeah. Great list. Good, good lists. Um, 
I think I think that's it. Uh, do do we want to do Judy and Punch? Was that yes, the movie? Yes, let's do it. Let's do it. All right, cool. Let's do Judy and Punch. Okay. Uh, I, I believe you can rent that on uh, YouTube or Amazon streaming. Yep. So check it out, uh, rent it, you know, have in, enjoy it for a movie night. And we will be back next week to, uh, to review it. So for, for Skylar and Davis, this has been $5 Tuesdays. We will see you next week and uh, stay zippy. See ya. Orson Welles, incredible actor, like very, uh, very well respected, but late in his career, he had kind of an, an ignoble uh, descent into, into things that he probably would not have chosen if it weren't out of desperate need for money. Cause he he was on, he he was on Pinky and the Brain. Do you remember that? What? He, he, He was the brain. Wait, he played the brain? Yeah. Pinky in the brain? Yeah. Hold on. I, I believe you. I just, I'm just trying to. Let me double check because now I'm scared. Um... <laughs> I, mean, I believe you, but I've just, uh, I got to make sure of this. Oh, crap. It Is says it not him? Maurice. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I know that he has a connection to Pinky in the brain. <laughs> Dang it. Hang on. We're going to Google this. Okay. So they're saying that the brain was like based on Orson Welles, but mm. like, like the brain's character. But I swear there was a uh, scene where, or, or, or anyway. He does or- kind of look like the brain. He does. Uh <laughs> On on OrsonWells.org, under Pinky and the Brain, it says, Maurice LaMarche, who voiced the brain on Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain, was a solid Wells, has a solid Wells impersonation, and thought of Wells mm. when auditioning for the part of the brain. One oh. Pinky and the Brain sketch recounts the infamous Frozen Peas tape incident, in which Wells throws a tirade at once hyper-articulate and nonsensical when challenged by the director. Hmm. Um, we, we, we might have to check that frozen, but anyway. That is interesting. Yep. Uh, yeah, that, that, that video of, uh, of Orson Welles just absolutely drunk off his gourd. Rolling. <laughs> ah, the French wine. <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> All I'm right. Just, what, what else? Oh, he did Treasure Island too. Okay. I was just looking else. what else he's done. Holy cow. He played Winston Churchill. He was probably spot on. <laughs> not, in, not in Treasure Island, in a different... Right, right. <laughs> they, they, there, there's a whole scene um, about in, in Treasure Island about like the blackouts in Britain trying to confuse the Nazi bombers. <laughs> oh they, my they, gosh. They, they set sail for Treasure Island and accidentally end up in like whales and they, they, they just hear announcements from uh from Orson Welles. That that would be a tragic they land they land in uh in Wales during uh during <laughs> during the world war uh when they're trying to seek out some treasure. Yeah that would be, that'd be <laughs>
boy, what say you? Where are we? Uh, <laughs> you're in Wales. What, what is that clothing that you have on? Uh, it appears you've also traveled about 200 years into the future. 